welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Welcome to all those on live stream today. We've got people, I know people that are sick today, and we pray for those that are sick for a miracle in their body. But for those at home or at hospital watching on live stream, God bless you. It's a great place to be on your phone, listening to the word of the Lord. For those listening on YouTube, God bless you. We have hundreds of people all around the country and the world listening. So we give them a great God bless you. Give them a great hand. And we pray, we pray today that the same spirit that is in this house touches you today. God is no respecter of person. Time doesn't worry him. Location, he fills the whole world, every time, space, all at once. That's what makes him God. So he's right there, right now. The same yesterday, today and forever. He quickens the word for us today. So turn in your Bibles or look on the screen to Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 8. This is the last week. Everyone go, oh. The last week of the life of influence. But it doesn't mean next week you'll have no influence. It just means you'll know how to influence. We've been talking about the seven mountains. I explained the seven mountains the first week. And then uh, we've continued to unpack how to position ourselves in the mountain. Dean spoke an amazing message last week on identifying your mountain. And uh, if you haven't heard those messages, go back to YouTube and, and go over them again. It'd be incredibly helpful. But today I want to talk to you about driving the enemy out of the mountain. Amen? Amen. I hate the enemy. He's a loser, a liar, a deceiver. And we're out to take back everything that belongs to us. And if you're going to operate in the mountains, you're going to have to learn how to deal with the enemy in your life. Did you hear me? He's been defeated, but he still has to be dealt with. All right? So we're going to bruise the enemy today, and I take great pleasure in saying that. He doesn't need any sympathy. Deuteronomy 1.8. See, I have set the land before you. This is what the Lord says to you today. Open your eyes. Look what I've set before you. Right through the Gospels, Jesus is healing the blind. Why? Because who are those that are blind? Those that have eyes to see, but they don't see. The Messiah is right next to them and they can't see. So God says, see. The issue for all of us is spiritual sight. It's what we see when we see. What is it you see when you look at your life? What is it you see when you look at the church and our city? See, I have set the land before you. So now go in and possess the land. Did you hear that? Go and possess the land. Who, me? Yeah, you. Possess the land. To which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I wish I had time to unpack that, but there's generational inheritance for everyone. What was won by Abraham is Isaac's reward and Jacob's. See, you are not, this is not just about you today. This is about generations that have gone before you and they are setting you up for the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 11 tells us that. I swore that your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give them to them and their descendants after them. That's you today. You're part of Abraham's descendants. So there's a possession for you to inherit. Did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Deuteronomy 7.1. 
And when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Benjamites, all those, all those Zites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. We talk about the seven mountains of influence, media, education, family, and so forth. They're all nations that are in the natural too big to take. Would you agree? Yeah. Government, business, we've seen the Royal Commission over the last, the Banking Commission over the last number of weeks. These are problems and challenges too big for the church to take in the natural. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God, not if, but when, okay? He says, I acknowledge that it's big, but it's okay. For when I give them to you or deliver them over to you, you will conquer them. Did you hear that? Yeah. Are you getting this? Yeah. You will conquer them. You say, well, I don't know if the seven nation things are going to work. Well, that's okay. But I do, because it says, even though they're greater and mightier, God will deliver them over to his people and we will conquer them. Yeah. We will conquer them. We are assured. It's a done deal. Woo! And we will destroy them. Destroy what? Destroy the spirit of the enemy that's behind all the corruption on all the mountains. You will make no covenant with them or show mercy. We're not going to work in that system, we'll show no mercy to it because God's kingdom shall be advanced over every mountain. Yeah. That's his desire. Yeah. Verse 17, if you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I, little old me, dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you will remember well what God did to Pharaoh and to Egypt. Did you hear that? Yeah. How he delivered slaves when there was no hope. God made a way where there seemed to be no way. And he's saying to you, if you think this is too hard, look back and see my track record. Yeah. I delight to do the difficult and make it easy. To take the nobodies and make them somebodies. So he says, just remember your history, your legacy, those that have gone before you. I took people where it seemed there was no way out. When they had too many, I said to get in, no! Too many. It'll look like I wasn't part of it. Cut it down. I'm going to do a great work through you. So anyway, so, you, so, so shall the Lord your God do to all the people that you're afraid. I'm going to do the same thing as I did to Pharaoh. Moreover, the Lord your God will send out the hornet among them until, they, until those who are left hide themselves from you and are destroyed. God will send forth his angelic host to do what you can't do. The battle belongs to the Lord. He is able. And if you agree, you can say amen. You shall not be terrified or intimidated by the size of the job. For the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is here today among us. Give him a hand. I'll say it again because I don't think you got that. You shall not be intimidated because right now, among us, Hope City Church, listen to the words, the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among us. Yeah. 
Woohoo! It's true. It really is true. The awesome God is among us. We can't help but win. I could do a dance if I knew how to dance. Got to deal with now the devil in the, in the mountains. This, these whole passages are to remind God's people we can get the job done. We can take the enemy out. It looks big, intimidating, but God is with us. One of the most powerful strongholds that the devil uses over the church is the lie that he still is in charge over the earth. He tells us that every day. I'm in charge. I, I own. I'm in authority. These are my mountains. Get out. Is that God's people? Because they're very polite, God's people. They, they go back into a corner, take up an offering, do a few nice little deeds, and largely leave the world to the enemy's domain. But I want you to know that his scope since Jesus rose from the grave, is incredibly limited. I know you probably have trouble believing that, some of you. Let me tell you something about Satan, because we don't want to spend too much time on him. But he's given a title. He is the prince of the world system, not the king. He's the prince of the world system. He is the prince or the leader of the demonic host. He's a prince of the power of the air and the world lies under his power. That's his role. That, that's, that's the scope of his role and nothing more. But listen to what Jesus said about Satan just as Jesus was about to be crucified. John 12, 31. Now the prince of this world will be that word is ejected. Do you remember when he used to have cassettes? And he pressed the eject button and out it popped, no more for it to run. He's been ejected out of the world system. Was that just words? Or what was Jesus saying? He said, I'm going. He, he dealt Satan, we'll see in a minute, a decisive blow the moment Jesus ascended to the Father. John 16, 11 says, and now the prince of this world stands condemned or judged. He was judged and ejected when Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father. His power has been eternally limited. He's not what we make him out to be. Is this the one that deceived the nations? You may want to turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation is a great book. It scares a lot of Christians, but it shouldn't. Verse 5. And she, she is Israel, brought forth a man-child. This is Jesus. I'm just commentating as I read the scripture. Okay, is that all right? Who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. That's the ascension. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser, who is who? Satan. Of our brethren is cast down. Didn't Jesus say, you're going to be ejected, cast out? He was warning Satan, there's 
I'm going to be crucified, but I'll go to the Father. And when I go to the Father, your power will be broken and you will be cast out of the presence of God, ejected. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, who accused the brethren before God day and night. He would stand before God and accuse the world, even the saints, because not one saint could stand before God clean without any condemnation. And Jesus, when he dealt with the sin problem, he came before the Father and he presented his life, his blood as a sacrifice for all mankind. And now Satan has no power to accuse the saints anymore. His power is broken. So when you go into your mountain of influence, he has no authority to accuse you or to bring you down. Did you hear that? For you are a saint, a holy one, called of the Lord, chosen. Many of you have gone into mountains of influence and the devil has talked you out of your influence because he's highlighted all the areas where he says you don't measure up. And God says you measure up eternally because of the sum. There is no more accusation. You are free to walk into your destiny. That's a good word. He was cast out. And in his place, salvation, strength, the kingdom of God, and the power of Christ has come. Now, I want you to turn to, with me to Revelation 5. It only gets better. Are you ready? Get a load of this. Now I saw, verse 1 of chapter 5, at the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Who is at the right hand of God? Acts 2.34, Hebrews 10.12. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. There was a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. I believe this book or scroll is the title deed to the earth that Jesus opened up when he ascended to heaven. It's not only the title deed to earth, but it's the battle plan for God's people, how to cleanse, how to judge, and how to prepare the earth for the coming reign of Jesus Christ. It is the title deed and the battle plan, and nobody could open it. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open this book? The title deed. See, because something had been stolen when Adam gave his authority to the devil. And now something's about to be reinstated. Okay? It's a title deed and a battle plan. Who is worthy to open the book? And no one in heaven or on the earth. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. And no one in heaven or on the earth, or under the earth, was able to open the book or to look into it. Nobody had measured up. No one had the, had the right or the authority to open the book. Only one person can open the book, and his name is... Jesus. That's it, you're clever. And I began to weep greatly because no one could open the book. No one found worthy. And one of the elders in verse 5 said, Stop weeping. Behold, look, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome... He is risen. So he is to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing. This is Jesus. 
as if slain, having seven horns, which is complete power, seven eyes, complete wisdom, which are the seven spirits of God. Isaiah 11 talks about the seven spirits of God released. The perfection of God's, of Jesus' power, authority and wisdom is about to be released upon the planet. Sent out to all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. So this is all happening in heaven when Jesus ascends. He's dealt Satan a fatal blow. We read about in Revelation chapter 12. And now in Revelation 5, he's opening the book that's about to be the title deed and the battle plan for the church, which culminates in our time. Stay with me. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. That's Jesus. And when he took the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Four living creatures. Four is the number. I'm not saying that this is not literal, but listen to this. Four is the number of creation, of the world. 24 elders. Could John be giving us an analogy that right across the world, 24 hours a day, there will be a release of prayer that will activate God's final battle plan? Just a thought. 24 hours, 24 hours in a day, constant. And we have seen in the last number of years, we heard, heard about this just a few weeks ago, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of 24-7 prayer centers are popping up all around the world. This is what John was seeing, I believe. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the book, to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. For you have made, this is you, he's talking about you now. You have made them to be kings and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. He's saying you have now authority on earth as a king and authority in the realm of the spirit as a priest. Are you hearing this? You have authority in both realms. He's made you kings and priests, and they will reign upon the earth. This is what Jesus did. This is what he did when he died for us. Ooh. Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Yeah. Verse 11, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the numbers were thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy, now listen to this, worthy is the Lamb. This is Jesus that was slain. This is what is going to happen because of his sacrifice. Do not miss this. Are you ready? Worthy is the Lamb... This is the reward for his suffering. To receive power, riches. This is the outcome of everything in the book. Listen. Power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. So in that book, as the seals are open, Jesus receives power. Power represents government. There will be a government on the earth 
that will operate in the right power of God. They will exercise power to those that are in need. They will exercise their authority and power according to the values of the kingdom. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive a government on earth that displays the power of God as they should. And everyone said, Worthy is to receive riches. There will be businesses and the economy that is founded on the very mind of Christ. There will be entrepreneurs and inventions and all sorts of things taking place as an honor to, and a reward to the suffering of Jesus. As he opens a book, out goes power, out goes the spirit that begins to operate upon all the riches of the world. God's people begin to understand how to operate in the realm of wealth as a reward for his suffering. He's raising up kings and priests. This is what this whole story is about. Worthy is he to receive wisdom. Think about that. On the education system, there will be the wisdom of God like Daniel. He operated in the wisdom and the education according to his ways and was 10 times more effective than any other person. God is going to breathe on the education system and drive the enemy out of our education. All the lies. Because that's a reward for his suffering. And when the books were opened, because of the prayers of the saints, as we pray into this. See, the seven mountains is not just some cute idea. It's something where the body of Christ, the 24 elders, begin to pray. And as our prayers go up, the the very contents of the book is released upon the earth. Wow. Wow. And might. Think about for the families that have been... See, might's to do with family. He says, I'll restore the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the father. I'll come in the spirit of Elijah. And so where our families have been downtrodden, might will come. Might will come. It will energize fathers who are walking around with their shoulders down, who have lost their calling and their purpose. Might will hit fathers and they will rise up and begin to lead their families in the ways of God. They will not be some, you know, just allowing their their wives to, to do it all, but they will stand in their authority. Wives will stand up in their authority. Children will come. Families will be restored. The spirit of might. See, see the, the family is the, uh, the foundation, the cornerstone of all our city. And the spirit of might is going to come because the enemy has attacked families, attacked marriages, attacked children with an orphan spirit. And God is coming. I prophesy it today that by his spirit, he's releasing might into families to restore hope in Jesus' name. Woo! And honour, honour is all about the church. Acts says that no one dared to join the church, not because it was boring, but because they knew that the Spirit of God was there and you couldn't muck around. If you did, you'd be taken out. Fear came upon all all the people. Honour will come to the church. It will not be some despised thing in the corner, but it will be an honoured place. For out of the church will come revelation how to operate in every sector of society. It will be a place of great honor to the Lord. Amen? Amen. 
glory, say glory, glory, over the arts and entertainment. Think about that. Music, sport, painting, the glory of God. I've seen that in fashion, emanating through all these different expressions. Arts and entertainment, uh, they are the release of the glory of God. The glory of God will cover all the earth. Well, what does that mean? Through arts and entertainment, there will be musicals and plays and all these things that will begin to release to all the world who God truly is. People will sit in plays and they will be astounded because the script writers have had an encounter with God and through the music and the language and the poetry, people will encounter the goodness of God. I believe that. And as they sit to watch the plague, they will be born again and set free. For his glory will cover the earth. This is all in a little book. And only one is found worthy to open this book. And his name is Jesus. And blessing. Who needs to be blessed? The media. See, the media, when they speak, they're not to curse the world. We open up the newspaper, turn on the TV, and it curses the world. Everything that's wrong. Everything that's wrong. Who got murdered? Who got raped? Everyone that's deceived. Blah, blah, blah. It's like vomiting over the world. And God's going to restore the media. They're going to be truth tellers, hope bringers. They will bless the world. We'll turn on the TV and we'll feel better than when we turned it on. Now, that's a miracle. And as the scroll is opened, as the saints begin to pray, all of this is released. How's that? I thought I'd get stuck on this passage. So turn with me to James chapter 4 now. So we've talked about what Jesus did at his ascension. Cast the devil out, open the scroll, release this mandate for the church. Now what do we do to respond? I'm glad you asked. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Did you hear that? Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The forces of evil on the planet have no authority, but they will not give up ground where they can get away with it. There's a parable of the persistent widow. In Luke 18, it tells us a parable about us not giving up. And there's this parable about a judge. And many people think it represents God. That You know, if we keep on God's case and we keep praying, that eventually, if we keep in his face, he's going to say, all right. Because he's this God that's really hard to convince to do good on the earth. That, you know, the seven mountains are more our idea than his. We think it would be a good idea if he assumed some rulership on planet Earth. And I've been nagging at you to do something for a long time. And when will you get around to, to being God? And our prayers often take that, that, that idea that if we keep pressing and fasting, that eventually they will get God's hand up far enough, he'll say, I give in. 
And this persistent widow, she comes before the judge and she puts her case before him. But he, he doesn't fear God or man. But because of her persistence, eventually, it says he gives in. Now, here's the thing. God is not like the unjust judge. God is quick to bring justice. He's a God of justice. We've just read that. Kicks out Satan and, and administers justice. God is not your problem in the mountains. Okay? Justice is on our side. This, is a whole, this whole story is a picture of justice going before the justice courts. And there's an unjust judge and God's saying, this is what you're dealing with. You're dealing with somebody that doesn't fear God or man. So you need to know how to deal with it. As I read this story, here's the theme, because it says, submit to God, resist the devil. This is how we enforce his defeat. Here's the key. If you're writing notes, persistence is the key to successful resistance. Persistence doesn't change God's mind. Like, you've got to get that out of your head. If I keep praying and fasting, he will relent. God doesn't change his mind. The only time people think God changed his mind was with Abraham. You know, if there's, if there's 50, will you relent? Or if there's 10? God wasn't changing his mind. He was just showing Abraham the extent of how bad the city was. Do you understand that? Oh, really? Was there 10? Oh, oh, no. He's just saying, Abraham, you think this city's better than what it really is. As you keep whittling it down, you'll find out what I see. God's never changed his mind. So you, don't have, to, you have to get God to change his mind. We've already seen the intent of the Father in Revelation 5, haven't we? Yeah. He opens the seal. This is what I'm going to do. The issue is not with Father or Son or Spirit. The issue is that you are fighting and resisting an enemy that doesn't want to move. He's been defeated, but he will stay there until you enforce the victory. You have to understand his authority, your authority, God's intent. God has showed his intent in Revelation 5. Now he says, you go and cast the devil out. And here's the thing. You've got to persist. Here's another thought. When Satan came against Jesus in the wilderness... And he gave him a temptation, turned these stones into bread, and Jesus dealt with the devil. Did he not? It is written, man should not live by bread alone. And after that, that, that encounter, Satan left straight away. No. That was the first temptation. So he comes back again. Second one. And then he comes back the third time. And it tells me that if Satan... Resist Jesus. Jesus was showing, not because Jesus was intimidated or could be overpowered, but Jesus was giving us insight into what would take place with us that we would meet resistance, but our persistence when we come against him would wear him down and break his power. Because something is taking place when we resist. It's not just resistance for resistance sake. There is something being established in our life. The truth of what we say and believe, it's more about us than about him. God is using the devil's resistance to create in us an understanding of who we truly are. He's a means to an end. He's a toy that, that God plays with for our success. 
And when we come up against him, that resistance is all part of God's plan. You are going to have to push him out of where he sits. Are you getting this? Resist the devil and he will he will flee. Resist. Did you hear that? Then he says, we are to submit to God. But 1 Corinthians 2 says that it's so important that we understand the mind of God if we're going to deal with the enemy. Submit to God. Submit to God. Here's how prayer works. The purpose of prayer according to 1 Corinthians 2, is to search the mind of God to discover his will. No man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man that's in him. Likewise, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And the spirit of God goes forth and searches out the deep things of the Father's heart to reveal to us the things that he has freely given to us. So the purpose of prayer and and waiting on the Lord is to discover the mind of God. And as we wait on the Holy Spirit, he goes into the mind of God and brings that into us. Now I know how to pray. Now I know what the will of God is. God has, in a sense, a problem. His will can't be done on earth unless it comes through my authority. So as I pray, I discover what God's will is. Now I can pray with authority. As I release the authority of God, God's will is done on earth. Because 1 Corinthians 2 says that we speak the things that are being revealed by the Spirit. That's what the spiritual man does. He he receives spiritual things and it says we speak it. In fact, I'll read that scripture to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2.13 says, This is what we speak. So we've just received the Spirit of God and then we speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. So we get the mind of God for our business, for our family. So you've got to wait on God for that. You wait on God until He reveals to you what He's saying, and then you speak out Spirit realities with Spirit-taught words. God's mind will come to you, and then you'll express His mind with Spirit-taught words. He will show you What to say? See, God never does anything on earth except come through his people. That's the purpose of a prophet. In fact, it says in um, Amos 3.7, The Lord God does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. See, Jesus couldn't even be born on earth until two people in the temple prayed and got the mind of God and began to release it on earth. Everything that God wants to do in the mountains in dealing with the enemy will come via this way. We resist the devil. We take authority over him. We say, you won't touch our families. I pray over this city. You are not to touch the families. I rebuke you. There are four and 20 elders in heaven, 24-7 prayer going up. It's a wrestle saying, Satan, these mountains belong to the Lord. We are kings and priests. We have authority on earth and in heaven. We've been to heaven. We've got the plan. And so we're exercising our authority on earth and we say, back off. Like that. That's how you say it. You exercise your authority. You resist the devil. And at the same time, you're submitting to God, getting his mind And speaking it out. Because if you don't get his mind and speak it, it will never be done on earth. 
That's how it works. Are you with me? So we go to our workplace. And we begin to discern what is taking place in the spirit realm. See, here's the thing. Many people go into new territory, many Christians, and they are unaware what's happening spiritually. So I say to my children, when you leave Christian school, my kids are going to a Christian school, and you go to university, you are changing spiritual climates. And if you're not aware of that, you will come under the authority and the jurisdiction of the enemy. And you'll wonder, we wonder why Christian kids fall away, not ours, but in general, because they don't understand that they've changed spiritual climate. When you go from one workplace to another, one region to another. See, in the spirit realm, there is divisions between land, rivers, all, and, and places carry different spiritual climates. So you need to be aware of how to resist the enemy and how to submit to God and get a battle plan for everywhere you go without being weird. So we start in our workplace. And we may not own the workplace, but we have authority over our desk. And we begin to say, Lord, let your kingdom come. I resist the enemy in this workspace. You have no authority. This is mine. And I take authority now. And anyone that comes into this realm is coming into the very presence of God. God, I hear your voice and you have a plan and a purpose. I tune my ears into what you want to say and do and I will speak forth your mind for this day. I'll give you an example. Are you ready? 2 Kings 5.14. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's really good. There was a man called Naaman. He had leprosy. Do you remember the story? And his servant girl encourages him to go to the prophet because he's got a plan for his healing. And you know the story? He wants, to, he wants to bathe in the Yarra River because the Yarra is much more clean than the Jordan. And, and the servant girl says, you know, just obey the prophet. He's got a plan. So you know the story? He bathes seven times. Interesting. Seventh time he comes up healed. Maybe God's trying to heal the paradigm of the seven mountains, even today in the church. That's why when Jesus was, I'm getting off sidetrack, when he was resurrected from the dead, the first person he meets is Mary because she has seven demons. And he's saying to us, well, cast out. Yeah, there was seven demons before, but she's now free. But, but you see right through Scripture, the thing that's on the mind of Jesus is the seven mountains. It's not by chance he meets her. He's saying, to all the other disciples, this is my passion. This is what I'm on about. And so for the, when he, while he was alive, before he went to, to heaven, he spent all that time speaking about the things of the kingdom, sharing with them, telling them. But anyway, Naaman, seven times, comes up, healed, amazing. He's got the seven mandate. And he says to the prophet, I've got to go back home. My job as the, the captain of, of, of the army is that I have to take my king into a pagan temple. I hold his arm while he worships. Could I please, you can read about this, take two bulls and they will carry mounds of dirt from Israel and I'll take all the dirt of Israel that I can put on two bulls and I'll carry it back 
to where I live. Hmm, interesting. Israel is holy ground. It's a picture of the presence of God. And here's a man who is being set free, healed, restored, understands the mandate of God. And he says, I've got to go into a wild, demonic, pagan world. I have no choice. That's where I live. But I want to take your presence with me. And they believe what he would do, he would take the soil and he would put it over the, the floor of the temple. A little bit like God's tabernacle he had a dirt floor. And as he sprinkled the dirt, he would, be made, he would bring the holiness and the presence of Israel into a pagan world. And that's what we do. That's, that's what we do as we resist the devil. We, we've met together today. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We leave this place and we all will go our separate ways into pagan systems. And we take God's presence and we sprinkle it around our desk, figuratively speaking. And all of a sudden, God comes. The mind of God comes. The enemy begins to be resisted and pushed out. We begin to take authority. This is how we dispossess the enemy. I can't prove it. But I think when Naaman went back into that pagan temple, the idols began to fall. Don't you? Just a little bit of dirt carrying the presence of God is enough to bring down all the enemy's plans. And you may not know it, but you carry the presence of Almighty God. We read about it at the start. That's why I made a big deal about the great, awesome God is in you. And we get intimidated. We walk. I I, I took one of my children to to an open display at one of the universities, a massive university. And I, I admit, walking through, it's like, oh, God, can you? I know you're big, but could you do anything here? It's like you can feel the oppression, the stronghold, the resistance. But I carry the presence of God, and you carry the presence of God. And as we actively submit to God every day and resist the devil, he will flee. He will come down in our universities, in our families, in every structure where he, he is sitting Illegally. Now remember, it's illegal. He is not, has no authority or right. All authority and all power was given to Jesus. And when he opened that scroll, it was released to you. So you have to know that. See, it's, when you know your authority, you can walk into those places. Naaman took the authority of God from Israel and he put it down in a pagan temple and he was safe. And not only was he safe, but the kingdom of God as a little seed began to grow. The Ethiopian, when he met Philip, that one encounter, they tell us that when he went back, it changed his whole region. Just one encounter, just one bit of dirt, just one man, one woman saying, Holy Spirit, come. You're in your workplace. You may go into the torch and shut the door. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place. You are king of kings and lord of lords 
in this workplace. I submit to you, your leadership. I have your mind. I speak what you want in this place. I resist you, devil. You may have at this moment a facade of authority, but I'm coming after you. God's going to position me to influence those physical places of authority and he's going to shake them and bring them down. And when you do that, God begins to move. This whole seven mountain mandate, although it's not found in the Bible in that phrase, it's all through this scripture. It's the passion of the Father to give the Son the reward due to him for his suffering. He's opened the scroll He's released his spirit and now God's people are getting a revelation in these last days of what he wants us to do. So today you've collected your dirt and you're about to go out into your pagan world. And as you go, know this, that the presence of God is with you. That you have authority to resist the devil and you have the privilege of hearing the voice of the Father. Amen? Amen. What a great word. God is so good. So, would you lift your hands up today? Lord, we are your people and we carry your presence. Wow, I feel it now. And Lord, wherever we go, like Joshua, wherever our feet tread, your kingdom goes with us. We thank you for the authority that we have over all the works of darkness. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us as the great and awesome God. So, Father, as we walk out this week, let your kingdom come in great power. We thank you for the mind of Christ, the ability to hear your voice, and speak your word. I break every attack of the enemy. Every time that the enemy has come against your people, Lord, I take authority over, particularly in the workplace where people have been singled out, where they have come under unjust causes and accusations. I break it now in Jesus' name. I, I know it's a lie of the enemy. It's an attack of the enemy. He's threatened because you brought the presence of God. And often we're taking it personally, but it's more, it's a spiritual battle. But as we resist the devil, he will flee. And I've said it to you before and I'll say it again. The devil does not have the fruit of self-control or of patience or perseverance. And God has placed that in you. You are a persevering, self-controlled man and woman of God. And you will persist and get your breakthrough. I break the lies of the evil one and we will not succumb. We will not bow down. We will not give in. We will not be depressed. We will not go into our hole. We will not go into a corner. We will not be resigned in our hearts, but we will overcome. For greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So I say, church, rise up. Take your places of authority. The book's been opened. The Spirit of God has been released upon you. Arise and shine for the light, the revelation has come. And the glory of God has risen on you. You are a carrier of the presence of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just thank him now. Thank him now. 
Everywhere we go, Lord, we carry your presence. We carry your presence. Satan, you are defeated. 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 We come in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And Lord, I pray for those that have been bullied and pushed by the enemy in their workplace. I'm talking about unjustly. I take authority over that now in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, for sensitivity in the spirit realm. Some of you have come up against onslaughts. And now, it's just, as I've been speaking, it's all beginning to make sense. You, you've been in a spiritual battle and you didn't realize it. God, give them eyes to see and ears to hear and a strategy to overcome. I ask in Jesus' name. Hebrews says that he will give us a taste of the power of the age to come. And there is an adventure for all of God's people to go on where we take back what has been stolen. God, give your people eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name. So I bless them as they go out this week with great success. Cause them to prosper. I say over you, you are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are the answer to your mountain. God, align them with people of influence. Cause them to be a word of wisdom, Lord, in the hour of a problem. I ask these things in Jesus' name.